My name is Kevin Fryert. My 30-year career at Pfizer gave me the chance to learn about the many facets of drug discovery and development. When I retired, I started Salem Oaks to help patients, parents, and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D so that they can be more effective partners and shape the future of medicine. On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian type bondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Subscribe to the Raising Rare podcast to hear the story unfold. Today we're taking a closer look at, at the life of Raghav, the hero of our story. You mentioned in an earlier episode that Raghav's superpower is smiling. So tell us, what makes him smile that makes you and Ramya smile? He's smiling always. He's smiling no matter what. Um, he has a phenomenal smile that he, even if he's in the emergency room, he's going to be smiling. Even if he's getting a blood draw, he would obviously cry and then he'd start smiling again. So I, I think he has uh, a lot of trust in us uh, that, that we will do the right thing for him and that he can continue to be smiling um, no matter what activity it is. Obviously, he's a kid, so he'd cry for a lot of things um, that he doesn't have to cry for. But at the end of the day, he'd, he'd sit, sit back in his chair and start smiling and playing with us like, like nothing happened. Uh, we have so many pictures of him where... He's sitting in our laps in the emergency room with so many wires connected and he's still smiling and laughing to all the, all the jokes and the silly faces we make. Emergency room comes to my mind too because that's the place where Raghav shows his resilience. He, he can smile there even when nurses are poking him or whatever is happening. He would just make a frown face looking at them. But the moment they are gone and he's with us, he goes back to smiling. I mean, he starts smiling. So yeah, we've learned a lot from him to not be sad all the time and appreciate the little things. When we make a silly face at him or try to cheer him up, he, he's okay. Okay, they're trying to make me smile. I'm going to do it. So the thing that makes him smile is your smiles. And you've got lovely smiles. So that's why it's pretty cool. All parents have a story of when they you know, had a tough day at work, they're worried about things or they're just in a bad mood and they come home and their child does something that turns the whole day around. You have a story like that? I think it is every single day. You know, we get tensed up for several things through the day, right? It can be just that no one's responding to our emails or it can be a problem at work or in the COVID times now, it can be just that we ran out of milk. It can be anything that will make... Uh, you know, the situation very stressful. But when we see Raghav doing something new, like even lifting his hand, or uh, recently, I think uh, day before yesterday, he started smiling 
predictably to a particular episode of a cartoon that he sees on TV. So every time, you know, whatever that 20 seconds comes on, he lets out a giggle and he starts smiling. Uh, so we've replayed that episode like a million times to see if he really is responding to it. But but he was. So things like that just give us a lot of confidence and turn things around for us. And we go back to being, uh, you know, as positive as we can and just take things uh, in a good light after that point. So could you take us inside your home and describe what a typical day is like? A typical day usually starts at four o'clock in the morning. That's when I wake up. Uh, and at least here during the, during the COVID times, that's how, that's how the routine has been. And obviously, uh, Raghav is asleep. Once he wakes up, the, the daily uh, drill begins. Um, he, has, he has a very precise routine that he follows, um, or he makes us follow. And he basically, you know, wakes up in the morning, he brushes his teeth, and um, he starts uh, exercising. Ramya and I, a little secret, we don't exercise. We are super lazy. We've always wanted to exercise, uh, but Raghav exercises every single day. He has so many different activities uh, for, based on his physical therapy that he's supposed to be doing. And, and if, if, if any one of us were doing um, that, those activities at uh, just, just like half hour after waking up, we would we'll just cry. Like if you we were doing that every single day. So he would, he would start waking up, he would start exercising. Um, he would start playing with toys and Playing with toys is actually a, a learning activity for him. It's also an exercise for him because he's learning how to move his hand. He's learning how to coordinate his eyes. He's learning how to coordinate his, his hands, eyes, and, and voice. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of hard work. Um, and he's doing that despite uh, being, on, um, be, being on a brace that holds him physically strong, that keeps him physically uh, aligned. He's doing that despite, you know, all the other discomforts that that's going on with him. And he's doing that with a great, uh, with a great smile in his face. That's sort of how almost uh, the whole day goes through. So we have a lot of different activities that we, we do as play with him, but it's, uh, it's all therapies for him through the day. And then obviously there are therapists that will come home that teach, that teach us new things and we make him do some of those things. So we have, we have specific goals that we, that we track with him. And we used to even have a, a notebook where we log a lot of activities um, that has happened through the day. We'd log how the day went. We'd log how the day, how many times he had, he had vomited, how many times he had difficulty swallowing saliva and things like that. And now, now the notebook has gone to a Google Sheets uh, form. So we, we fill, up a, fill out a form every night uh, to track how, how, how things are going with him. And then there's obviously a million medications to give him at different times in the day. He takes a nap usually in the afternoon for about two or three hours. Um, the nap didn't come easy. Um, we had to sleep train him. Unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully several times and then he decided to sleep. So we, we tried we tried time and again. We, he, we had the most trouble um, making him sleep in the night because he would wake up every, every one hour like on the dot, like every one hour on the hour. and he would start crying and we'd have to pick him up, pacify him, walk around and then put him back to sleep. So we were waking up every one hour for almost uh, more than a year, year and a half, I think. More than and a year. the reason uh, why I said unsuccessful was, you know, all parents sleep train their kids, right? It's, it's quite common. It's nothing specific to Raghav. But we couldn't sleep train Raghav. The reason was, which we realized after giving him several hard nights, 
was that he was not able to turn by himself and sleep. As adults and even as kids, we twist and turn around that lets us sleep for a long time. He gets fatigued because he cannot turn around. He's just stuck in one spot and his body pains and he cries every one hour. And because his sleep was so disturbed, his, he was not energetic throughout the day. So it took us a while for us to understand what was going on with him. And then we proactively turned him around. We started waking up, turning him around so he could sleep for long periods of time. So that was a sleep uh, training story. Yeah, we, 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 we tried like, obviously with, with everything we did, uh, we, we go to a Facebook group and ask a bunch of parents and ask them about their experience of sleep training their kids. Um, and then we read some research papers on how to sleep train kids. And, and the data showed that the, the, the most successful way to sleep train kids is to let them be on their own, cry themselves until they sleep. Uh, because crying is tiresome. It, they don't like it in two or three days. They'll sort of grow out of it. We did that for Raghav and he, he didn't like it. Again, we were unsuccessful, but eventually he figured out that he's supposed to sleep longer. So there are days now when he sleeps through the night, um, which is phenomenal. It's a difficult time because not only is he's not sleeping, but you're not sleeping. And then during the day, you're happy that he goes to sleep and takes his nap, but that means he's not going to sleep at night. It's a, a vicious circle that parents can get themselves in, complicated by the fact that Raghav cannot move himself around. And so I think it's interesting that you need to schedule the moves. That was a lot about Raghav's life, but... What about your life? What do you do? When do you work? Do you have help at home? Um, how does that happen? So Sanat's day starts at four in the morning because once Raghav is up at six or 6.30, we don't get focus time to work. I don't wake up at four. It's really hard for me, but Sanat does. Uh, so he works for about two hours without anyone's distraction. And then once Raghav is up, his routine goes on and then we we go we go to work right we have a we have a job that we need to do both of us have supportive teams who haven't uh, given us a hard time so we try and manage our office work through the day and we do a couple of calls here and there in between that we need to do to take care of Raghav's treatment to keep making progress there throughout the day and then you know later in the evening around four o'clock we go back to playing with Raghav for uh, you know, a couple of hours, and then we are back to working again. We try and juggle around a lot, uh, making sure we have time for family, making sure we have time to spend with Raghav, taking care of our office work. So we try and balance uh, all of the all of those as much as we can. Uh, but I'd say we were just discussing this yesterday. We don't have enough time to work on things that's going to matter for Raghav's treatment. Unfortunately, it's very, very hard to do that because it needs focus time. It needs uh, undivided distraction. If we start doing, I mean, attention, if we start uh, doing it with distraction, right? If Raghav is crying outside or someone from office pings, we are off track and it takes a while for us to get back there and, you know, continue doing what we were doing. So it's hard to context switch and take care of it, but I think we're trying our best. Pre-COVID was better. Obviously, it was way more hectic before COVID because we were, we were running around. We were going from one doctor's appointment to another therapist's appointment and then to work and then something else, uh, taking care of the house and stuff like that. But we, all, we were also fortunate enough to be able to go to a, a, a coffee shop and then work from there undivided. 
but Andy had enough attention for hours uh, together. And so that was very helpful because we could just step out and kind of step out of this, of this home, uh, home mindset and like, you know, caregiver mindset and then focus on research and treatment and then come back. That also meant that uh, we drank a lot of coffee. That is very Seattle. Yes, we there. There are so many coffee shops here. I, I don't know if I can live in, in any other part of the country that has that doesn't have as many coffee shops uh, that that are not all Starbucks. So, right, and we have specifications for coffee shops. Right, it needs to have enough outlets, and it needs to have a good chair that you can lean into. They need to have a good selection of food items, and. There's just too many specifications and we don't align as much on the choice of coffee shops. That's a problem as well. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be too hot. It shouldn't be too cold inside. It shouldn't be too noisy. It shouldn't have uh, speakers right above your head. They should, you should have enough space to keep your, keep your elbows out. Maybe we should do another episode on coffee shops. <laughs> what about the healthcare side of baby or God's life? doctors, therapists, things like that. How does that play out? Yeah, after Raga was born, we realized that we needed a Google Calendar to manage his life. And this was maybe a month in month after he was born. So he was still, he was, he was already busy um, almost right after he was born. All he was doing was just sleeping, but we had so much work to do on his behalf. And, and since then we had been sort of, you know, going back to back with, uh, with therapy appointments every single day. We ramped up on therapies, at least one, one therapy a day, sometimes two per day. And then that combined with doctor visits, there's at least one or two doctor visits per week. So we, we very frequent uh, the hospitals here. Uh, some of them are routine visits, just follow-ups, and some of them are, are maybe he has cold or something like that. That keeps happening again and again and again. So he's he's very very busy and he keeps us he keeps us on our toes all the time. But what we realized during COVID is that we didn't have to go to as many as many doctors uh, at all. Like we most of the doctor doctor's appointments have canceled have been canceled, which sucks because some of the some of them are needed to make progress on his on his treatments. But we realized that we didn't have to go to the nutritionist uh, every, every 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 four weeks physically take him there. Like we could have a phone consultation with a nutritionist and, and it's just, just as good. Right. And, and those kind of things are, are, are what we learned through COVID. And I think that has kept our, our life and um, our, our schedule much less busy. Um, so there, that's the silver lining with the whole COVID experiences that we realized through telehealth and teletherapy that we could uh, save a lot of commute time. We could, we could get more effective use of Raghav's time and our time as well. And so going forward, we will probably do a mix of in-person and, and televisits. It will, will push the hospitals and, and other therapists to, to do more telehealth because it really helps us. What is all that like for the two of you? And I'm actually looking, I know that you think of things differently. So I'd like to hear both viewpoints. What is that constant attention to the calendar and juggling of things. How do you each respond to that? I like to keep myself busy. So I don't worry about random things and start crying here and there. So when I'm busy, I'm, I'm stronger. But, you know, given other, given a chance, I would be busy with other things, <laughs> not this. Uh, but I think it helps me 
to know that I have something that I need to do uh, productively for the day to get through. I think an empty calendar will make me very nervous. Yeah, we have this to-do list in our heads that, that the next thing to do at this time of the day is this activity. This sort of a, this sort of a lifestyle was very difficult to manage and, and it was very crazy back uh, when we started. We really were, were not coping up with this sort of a lifestyle. Uh, it would take a hit on our sanities. We would have a tough time sort of getting through the day and we would be burnt out uh, every few days. Uh, but I think now we have come to uh, come to terms with it, and, and we've started realizing that this is this is how it is going to be in the future too, and this is necessary for us to um, for us to get a treatment for Raghav. And so we we sort of understand, and we actually look at gaps in the calendar now, uh, and and look as look at the, those gaps as times where we can relax and unwind, and actually uh, decide and choose to to not work. And so that. The, com- the obsessive compulsive working has now changed to more of a, a scheduled work. And, and we realize that this is not uh, the only day that we have to work. There's several days going forward and it's just, this is a marathon. It's going to take, it's going to take months um, for us to try and find a treatment and then get, and then whatever comes after that. Right. And so if we were to run a sprint uh, and, and run a marathon, like we would run a sprint, we would be burnt out in the first mile. And so that realization helped us sort of slow down. And, um, and when we realized that we don't have enough mental buffer, like the, the excess mental capacity to, to sort of bur- burst into extra work mode, right? If we don't have that buffer, we intentionally make sure we take a break, we stop working, and then we get ourselves that buffer before we start working again. And so sometimes it feels too comfortable these days to actually be in the schedule. And then that sort of scares us because, you know, are we just complacent? Are we really working or not? And, and we don't, we don't, we also don't push ourselves too hard these days because we, we know that that will only affect us down in the future. We've learned, we've come to these realizations based on um, our, our experiences in the past, getting burnt out and then going weeks on end without working or making progress. This is how we've sort of restructured our lives. And that happened earlier this year when we had uh, uh, the Cure GPX4 conference coming up. And then we had a fundraising event that we were planning in March as well. And moving to a new house. Moving to a new house. And we had Raghav's unexpected surgery then. Just too many things came at the same time. And we, Sanat and I, couldn't have a conversation about anything. We would talk two lines and then my mental capacity will be full. I'm like, I can't hear anymore. I'm not able to process this. So we got really burnt out during that period. And we had to take almost, I think, a month off or two to three weeks off without doing anything. I mean, we would still be doing our usual things, but nothing nothing that requires mental capacity. So it, it was not at all productive. So we decided to space out things, plan uh, our activities two or three months in advance and not take up things in between. There was something yesterday I was telling you that, you know, we are going to be doing this forever and we shouldn't be taking it up or something, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I forgot. This. So we just keep planning for every little thing that comes our way. We decide, is this going to fit in our schedule? Is this going to burn us out or give us energy and then decide to squeeze it in or not. So I'd like to talk about some of the hard things now. All of this is hard, but so my, my question is, what is your greatest fear for Raghav? Our greatest fear is that we will not find a treatment for him. 
I think that's our greatest fear. We, we, we do a lot of work. If we were to hypothetically think of a situation where, well, let's say today we'll just stop working to try and find a treatment for him. Uh, we can't even imagine what the day would look like. And we can't even imagine how the day would go by and, and, and how tomorrow would look um, if we don't work to find a treatment for him. And so that's how uh, ingrained those activities are in our lives. And that's sort of the, the, the purpose that we have uh, for, for all the activities we do today. And so our greatest fear is that we won't find a treatment for him, I don't know, which would make his life much better. Um, I, I think we, we, we can't even imagine how it'll look like um, if we don't have a treatment for him when he's, say, five years old. One of the ways you're getting through that is by working hard at it. What else gets you past that fear, though? What, what gets you to say, you know, we, we can't let the fear drive us. We have to let something else drive us. What is that? Optimism, his smile. I think um, at, at the end of the day, we, we really have to work. We just, we just don't have a choice. But again, we cannot be foolishly optimistic to say, oh yeah, we, just because we are spending 16 hours a day working uh, or 18 hours a day working, that we will find a treatment. We have to be very strategic. We have to be very optimistic. And we have to keep our question, our questioning ourselves whether are we doing the right thing? Are we spending our time on the right things? Are we doing the right work? If we lose that optimism uh, that, that we will find a treatment, then I think maybe another word to put it is, other word to use is hope, right? When you lose hope, uh, what, do you, what else do you got? We, we, we won't lose hope. There's, there's nothing that will make us lose hope at this point. We will find a treatment for him. It's just a matter of time. And it's, it's, it's figuring out how and when it's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, we cannot predict. There's nothing that will help us say that, oh yeah, in six months you'll find a treatment. Because even if we have the best of the roadmaps, even if we have the best of the people, even if we had all the money in the world, it's just not going to happen automatically. And, and obviously we don't have all the money in the world. We don't have all the time. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a combination of, of luck, optimism, and, and just keeping our hopes. We talked a little bit about how it brought telehealth into your, your medical situation. Is there anything else that's gone on with COVID? Everybody's talking about COVID now and what it's done to their lives. Is there anything you think it kind of stands out because of your situation? Yeah, I think COVID has obviously had a lot of um, minuses <laughs> primarily, uh, but a little, but some some of the pluses too uh, with telehealth and um, and obviously letting us stay home and, and spend more time with Raghav. I, I think on the minus side, uh, it slowed down a lot of the research. Almost all of the academic institutions are shut down. They are uh, working under reduced capacity. They are letting a few people go into the labs to maintain uh, the mouse lines or, or cell lines or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's all under reduced capacity, which means m most of our timelines are screwed up. Uh, a lot of folks have lost months worth of research. We've been waiting for an approval from the FDA to try an experimental medication. That's taken way longer than, than what it would typically take otherwise. Uh, all, all of the other supporting institutions um, around healthcare, like the Institutional Review Board and, and other, other supporting functionalities around the healthcare are working under reduced capacity which means they are under stress as well. And, and many of the labs have been repurposed to focus on COVID. And so from, from the, the science and research standpoint, things are coming to sort of a grinding halt. But the, the disease doesn't stop. Um, it's, it's still continuing to go, 
progress in, in we still are fighting an uphill battle at this point. You guys have so much going on and Raghav's situation makes it even more stretching, um, even more tiresome. How do you guys unwind and recharge? What do you like to do? We dream of vacations. This morning, we were in the bed about to get up and we were like, how will it feel if we just had, you know, water right outside our window? There is ocean and there's green trees around us. That will be an amazing thing to wake up to. So before Raghav came along, both of us used to hike a lot, almost every weekend when the weather is good. And we used to go on a lot of vacations. That's, that's who we were. So our life kind of turned, turned around now. And so we dream of that. That's a way for us to unwind. I mean, jokes apart, but other than that. It, it uh, definitely helps so. Yeah. <laughs> now we've gotten really professional at dreaming of vacations. Like we really know what, what food to order for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> How, what cab to take to go from the airport to the hotel in the dream. I think what we what we end up doing is is we we recognize when we get very uh, worked up when we are focusing too much on work. And obviously, Raghav is is sort of the best way for us to unwind because we go play with him and he smiles a lot and and you know we have to give him undivided attention without distraction, which 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 helps um, that it helps take our our minds off of uh, off of work. Um, and and we also make sure we we go for little walks and and do some. Um, some unwinding there. There's so many parks out in out in Seattle that we can just go around and walk. And it, it's just, it's just beautiful to to sort of be out there, uh, getting fresh air, just meeting other people and stuff like that. And I like to clean. And when I when I clean, frantically, it means I'm super stressed out. People don't come near me when I clean. I just start cleaning the whole house and every little thing. That's like meditation to me. And folding clothes is another thing, which just relieves stress. So I do that a lot. So you, you said you like to vacation. What's the dream vacation that you take Raghavan? Think about it. I know kids, you know, toddlers, they go to Disneyland or things where places where kids can play. Uh, we, since we've not really had the opportunity to take Raghav to those places, I'm having a difficult time even imagining that. Wow. So there's a something that's out there over the horizon that, that you can't even imagine yet. But look, the looks on your faces say you'd like to, you'd like to do it, whatever it is. This is where Raghav's condition gets in the way. So telehealth and the fact that COVID's opened that door up for you, maybe there's a way to get that vacation because you can do telehealth from anywhere. Actually, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, if he can continue his vacation and still keep his health under, under control, yeah, of course, we'll take him to a vacation. Well, that's a good idea. If you'd like to follow Raghav's story, please subscribe to Raising Rare 